Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Natural Running Network. My name is Richard Diaz, and what I hope to do is introduce you to some amazing athletes and luminaries from the sports science community, and what has come to be expected, I'll provide some highly opinionated rants on all aspects of endurance sports and my current favorite, obstacle course racing. But before I get started, I want to give a shout out to Human Octane. If you're the kind of person who pushes the limit, then you've got to check out Human Octane Apparel training and racing apparel designed by OCR athletes, and these guys just get it. Everything they make drives lightning fast, has zippered pockets, is abrasion resistant in high contact areas without bulky padding. I've gotten to know these guys, and trust me, they're going to out-innovate the competition when it comes to OCR gear. Check them out at humanoctane.com. Now sit tight, grab a cup of coffee, and let's do this. All right, once again... I have Miles Keller on with me, and let me just kind of set this show up for you by saying that, first of all, Miles and I are friends. He has attended my clinics and got a podcast he does with his dear friend Morris, and we'll talk about that in a little bit too, but um, so Miles reached out to me and said, hey, Richard, I want to do something on heart rate variability and I would really love it if you did it with me because I think you're probably the guy to talk about this. And I paused, and then I thought a bit. And I said, you know what? I don't. I don't think I want to do that. I mean, and then I sent him this dissertation on why I didn't really want to go into that whole rant. And uh, having thought about it for a little while, I thought, well, look, we could touch on it. You know, don't be such a dick. We could talk about this, but let's uh, let's package it up with some other things that I don't love because I personally believe that a lot of conversation about all the unique little tricks that we should be employing in our training but very little said about the things that you should probably avoid doing in your training and so I came back to Miles I said Miles what do you say that we touch on that but at the same token let's touch on some of the things that are kind of pet peeves and immediately it's like, you know, if you're watching a social media thing on Facebook, you see the little thumbs up going across the screen and the little hearts and shit. You can almost you can almost <laughs> see that happening in his head because <laughs> he started coming back, well, hey, what about this thing and what about that thing? And I'm like, yeah, I'm with you, man. I mean, let's do that. So with no further ado, Miles, say hello to the audience. What's up, uh, Rich? Yeah, you forgot to mention that I'm also a president of the Rich Diaz fan club. That's how I really <laughs> oh, got on this podcast. Oh, man. Uh, oh, I subscribe man. to the newsletter, and you got <laughs> a bunch of uh, autographs you need to sign here so I can send them out to the fans. Yeah, you know, you say that now, people are going to get emails saying, hey, what newsletter? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of course, you're going to be dragged into blogging pretty yeah, soon. Yeah, next you thing know you know, it. i got to write a newsletter. <laughs> um, Do you remember, you remember when those used to be a thing? People would subscribe the newsletters, and they'd actually mail out, like print them out and mail them to your house. Dude, are you kidding me? I well, we're going to talk about this, but I used to own a health club, and and so they're oh, you got to got to put out a newsletter, you know, talk about this and that, and then that's going to bring a lot of business to you. And so I would have to hire people that were doing cut and paste to create a newsletter, and I was like, oh my god, what an annoying process that was. It'd be a lot of work, and then there was all kinds of very niche 
topics. You could get a newsletter oh, on anything. Yeah. Some people, a lot, a lot of people listening to this right now might be too young. You have to be like, say, what, thirty plus years old to remember news newsletters. I don't know, man. Uh, but you know me, I'm a freaking dinosaur, and and I, I mean, I can think back. I've got actually, I've got an archive of when I created my first logo on a computer for my health club. And you should see it, man. It looks like it was made by Fred Flintstone. It's all pixels. Yeah, it's all pixelated. It's, it's what they call and, pixel art. Oh, my God. And there's no dimension to it whatsoever, and, and it was, uh, yeah. So, Did your webpage have the flashing little uh, animated GIFs? And web, the, and web, page, web, counter. web page? There was no web. web. We didn't have internet when I first got had, into the health club. You had AOL, though, right? No. Yeah, they had that on AOL, man. You can make your own page. Your problem is is you're you're too young. There was no AOL. I'm talking about we had a a dot matrix printer and a you know the I had the IBM one eighty eight or eighty eight, whatever it was. You had a little floppy drive that you you know, you stick the you you didn't have a hard drive, you stick the little floppy in it and that's where all your information is. And that thing That stuff is in museums now. I still have one. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> trying to get started. Yeah. You sound like Beavis and Butthead you trying to, to do that. It's the, and I, by the way, I have a laptop that's, um, it's in DOS. Okay. You know what DOS is? Oh yeah. Yeah. MS DOS. Okay. So the, the thing doesn't even have a windows operating system. It's DOS. And I used it. To give you an idea how far back I go, I used it exclusively to tie it to my Wingate bike for doing Wingate testing on uh, professional hockey players back in the day, where we were measuring power output. That was our high-tech approach to collecting data and you know spreading it out to find out what their fatigue index was and all this jazz. Way back then, dude. So you're talking to me about a website? Are you kidding me? <laughs> You know, hey, that's another thing you should talk about with your triathlete background. Yeah. A lot of us in OCR, when we do non-impact cardio days in our programming, we'll do a lot of cycling. But, well, none of my friends, and myself included, know the proper form on a bike. So it'd be great to learn that if you did a video for uh, from a triathlete coach. You know oh, what man, I mean? Dude, I don't want to go back there, you know. I've, I've already been there, done that. I've spent so many years in triathlon, and, you know, it was... It was a big deal for me for many, many, many years, but I, I'm just done. You know, I don't want to look back anymore. So you got to learn how to ride the bike yourself. <laughs> well, well, well. I came to you, Rich, because you're the heart rate guru. I took, I went way deep down the rabbit hole of heart rate variability, and I figured, hey, let me go to the king of heart rate, the heart rate guru, Richard Diaz, and see what you think after doing my research. And uh, I was surprised that you didn't completely buy into it, and you told me why. For the people out there that don't understand what heart rate variability is, it's this quantitative measurement of your nervous system, whether sympathetic or parasympathetic. And you, you create a baseline. You measure your heart rate, usually for most people when they first wake up in the morning, laying down. And you get a baseline, an average. And then it is a measure of the, the variance between those heart rates from day to day when you wake up and take your heart rate to see if, you know, hey, if I can, should I train today? Is my heart rate lower or higher? You want a lower heart rate. If it's higher, it could be a symptom of overtraining. But then there's a lot of other things that go into that, right? It could be a medicine you're taking. It could be all kinds of stresses of life. You could be getting sick. It's things like that. 
that I learn when you go deep in town in this uh, this rabbit hole. But so I am I am so interested to find out if if you don't completely buy into heart rate variability, what other methods you think people can use? What is your can you break down your take on heart rate variability? All right. For first off, let's just touch on what you what you glazed over, which was the influence of the autonomic system, your nervous system, right? And I'm going to go out on a limb and assume that a lot of people that are listening to this probably don't really get all this. So I just kind of want to give you some backdrop here before we go off into the variability business. And first of all, as you suggested, there's two important components, and they're essentially polar opposite nervous systems, your sympathetic and your parasympathetic nervous system. And your sympathetic nervous system is essentially where your fight or flight lives. When your sympathetic nervous system is stimulated, it increases your heart rate. It will help to increase the contractile force in your heart, which is going to improve your stroke volume. It's going to cause to vasodilate your coronary arteries so more blood flow can be pushed out. In essence, your body is trying to meet the demand of impending doom. Right, so, so if you're too sympathetic, it means you haven't recovered, right? So the other way, well, yeah. I mean, so if you're, con- if you're commonly staying sympathetic, it's because your stress levels are probably too high and things aren't going as, as well as they could. And so the polar opposite of this is your parasympathetic system, which is how your body digests, how your body rests. Uh, it decreases your heart rate, helps to reduce contractile forces and allow things to kind of settle down. And the way they affect your lungs, sympathetic would be increasing your respiration, increasing your breath volume, increasing bronchial dilation. Uh, With your kidneys, it helps to regulate sodium and water by shunting sodium in in the fluids that your your kidney takes on and allows it to stay within the working musculature because you need that when you're doing exercise. So it's basically a regulation system, these polar opposite nervous systems. And this heart rate variability is essentially pointing to the timeline between the actual contraction of the heart and the relaxation of the heart. The idea being is that if you were to practice improving on your heart rate variability, it's essentially you doing breathing exercises. And this has been done forever. And even, you know, you go into, geez, back in the day, you go into uh, an aerobic class. And during the cool down, they're they're imploring you to breathe deep and relax and exhale. Or even during the exercise session, they're trying to encourage you to improve the way you're respirating. and Or ventilating would be the word I'm using. And so when you asked me about this, I said, you know, it's like it's a, a lot to do about not much is my, was my take on it. Because number one, if you find that, as a rule, you're a pretty stressful person, you should probably already be employing some kind of relaxation mechanism, which would include a lot of deep breathing and trying to gather yourself. And we were discussing earlier the apps that are available, many of them for free, some of them even showing up on iPhones as apps, where it's essentially reminding you that you need to breathe, you need to relax and help to regulate your ventilation and cause things to kind of normalize, get back to a parasympathetic position where you're allowing your body to recover, reduce the stress hormones in your body, and all that stuff. So we talked about this at great length before we started to do this show, 
and the comments I made to you were, first of all, of course, it's not a bad idea to have a practice of relaxing your breathing and trying to bring things to, to homeostasis, kind of normalize things. And the better you get at it, the better you can probably perform as an athlete, the better your rest the more likely you are to normalize and, and reduce your stress hormones in the, in the evening. And we talked about, you know, time of day where, where you might want to take on this type of practice. And you suggested as something you might check in the morning before you start your workout as a determinant as to whether or not it's a good idea to exercise and what intensity to take on, if any. And I suggested, I think the best time to really practice this type of thing would be in the evening as you start to go to bed. And so we're talking about two different things here, right? We're talking about monitoring your heart rate variability, and I'm talking about what you can do to encourage improvements in that variability. And, and again, I, I don't really even like the term. It's, it's like hocus-pocus marketing to get people excited about something that is really not that big a deal. I mean, it's really... Essentially, the first thing you should visit when you think to exercise is finding a way to recover and relax. So that's Well, question for you. Why would you want to do it in the evening as opposed to the morning time? Because you mentioned it, it, how it would affect the rating in the morning time. But wouldn't you want to not uh, – wouldn't you want a true, a true reading from that in the morning time without – as you would any other night before going to bed instead of influencing it? Well, the fact of the matter is, is when you get ready to go to bed and you've gone through your day, you've exercised, regardless of what time of the day you've exercised, you've had life, uh, all the things that you deal with, some of the things that are stressful, th some of the things that are physically taxing. At the end of the day, you want to get back to relaxation. And this is important because everybody knows if you don't get adequate sleep that your body's just not going to function well the following day. So the cure would be to do these types of things prior. And if you got into a practice of doing some long, deep breathing exercises, and if you need support of an app, I'm sure there's many, many available that you could do that with. You just kind of go to bed with your phone or your, your heart rate monitor or whatever, and just really try to get into this whole practice of lowering your heart rate, getting a, a much better breathing sequence before you go to bed. And you're going to find you're going to go out like a light. And we talked about this. I was joking about it. But back in the day, we used to talk about counting sheep. And essentially, counting sheep is like a heart rate variability drill. <laughs> you're just, you're <laughs> yeah. focusing on trying to find relaxation. So in the morning, the reason you would test all of this is to see whether, in fact, you have had the rest that you needed or whether your body is still a little put out from the work you've done over the last day or maybe several days. And incidentally, in my training program, in the old book that I wrote, I use an indicator of stress, which is called a TRIMP score. I don't know if you paid attention to that. Yep. Yes, sir. I so, remember that. So the TRIMP score is essentially a gathering of information to determine how much stress that you took on over the course of the week, the day, or session. And then it gives you an accountability of whether, in fact, you've been putting yourself to task maybe more than you need to. Because a lot of times you may seem like you've done more, and you may have done more, but the intensity might not have been as great as the shorter work week. 
And so the shorter work week may have been more stressful, but on paper it didn't look like you did as much. So the trim score is a really good way to try to determine whether you're doing too much, too little, and whether you need a break. And so this kind of falls into the same basket with heart rate variability in my mind. If you're going to get focused on that, I think that, A, like you suggested, you check it in the morning, however you might check it, whether you're using one of the fancy tools that are available these days to see if your variability is on point. And I, I'm sure that there's there's apps now that chase you through the evening. So you could see how you've done through your rest and whether you've actually gone to REM sleep and actually really got the recovery you needed. But I, I just felt like, and the reason I wanted to bundle this with other things is because I could think of a host of things that people spend a lot of time worrying about or money on and investing time in that is just not serving them. It's just not giving them the return for the investment that they could probably get if they had done something else. Yeah, I'm I'm willing to do anything to try and get better sleep. I'm not sure. A lot of people say in your late 30s, uh, where I'm at, I'm 37 years old, that you, you start to have a real hard time sleeping. And that's true for me, man. A good night's rest is seven hours, and I will go to bed early and stay, stare there, stay there in bed and just stare at the ceiling and stay awake and can't seem to sleep. Uh, you know, what other advice do you have for if, uh, you know, obviously that getting that good sleep is the most important. Do you have any kind of advice towards something people can do? I know there's a lot of, there's apps for meditation. Uh, Coach Mo talks about that, a lot of meditation. Uh, what, what's your What's your take on that? Well, I, I'm too busy-minded to meditate well. My, I should tell you, my brother, who is uh, a few years younger than I am, is a seventh-degree black belt. And he could meditate. He could literally, this is kind of crazy. He could sit on the ground and meditate for five minutes and be completely stretched. He could actually not have to do a, a dynamic stretching treatment preparing to do a martial arts or teach a class and be completely stretched, do the Chinese splits after he meditates. Now That's wild. I don't Why do know, you think that is? I don't know how the hell he does it. I'm, I'm not even going to start to think about how to do it. But some people are more prone to get real qualitative meditation. Others are not. My mind's too busy. I know my wife could not ever in a million years do it. But I do... I could tell you a good example of a situation that's similar. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had an MRI before when they stick you in a tube. Yes, sir. But you get in that tube and it's really kind of annoying. If you're if you're not uh, if you can't relax, you know you can just about flip out in that thing. And especially if you're claustrophobic. Well, and I had one done on my brain, which may not surprise you. <laughs> trying to find out what's wrong. We were with quite you. certain there was something really wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, but they put this like birdcage thing right over your face. And so your face is like literally in like this birdcage. Aside from being in the tube, you've got this this really confined cage around your head. And I was in that tube for 45 minutes like that because they were they were doing some scans on my back and some other things. And um so I was I was put in that situation for a really long time. But what I would do is I would just close my eyes, and then there's this uh, sequential knocking sound that the machine makes. And I would breathe and count. And I was trying to figure out what the sequence between those knocking sounds, the episodes between the knocking, 
and try to calibrate my breathing along with the count to figure out when it was going to occur again. So I was playing a little bit of a game, but I mean, I fell right into a very, very comfortable relaxation by doing this breathing. Now, uh, to tell you what would be a good tip for someone to practice, I mean, again, I was the guy that didn't want to do the heart rate variability talk. Uh, so I'm probably not the guy to help people get into that yogi position and, and talk about yoga and, and, and all the relaxation techniques that are out there. I'm a little crazier than that. Um, but I absolutely agree and support the concept of finding relaxation. And typically, I believe, I mean, some people do it midday. You know, they'll they'll just take a break for five minutes, do some deep breathing exercises. There's actually music that are harmonic music that helps you get into this relaxation. Like uh, white noise? Yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. various ways. And I had a friend send me some audio tapes like this, and it was freaking me out. But, yeah, I mean, again, I don't know that I'm the guy. I mean, so you might have a better idea than me. Man, my my brain races so much. I got a mean case of ADHD. So my mind is always racing. That's part of things. I can sit there and lay in the dark flat on a pillow and try and fall asleep. But my mind is just thinking of all kinds of different things, and it doesn't slow down. And so I think that might just be me. Maybe that's an ADHD thing. But uh, You probably got to get a prescription for weed. Yeah, exactly. That's popular these days. That's not a bad you, idea. You know what? You sound like a candidate. You probably walk into any doctor right now, he's going to you know, flip you a joint. Yeah, at least in California or Colorado for now. I think it's still illegal here in uh, Texas. I'm not sure what the uh, I'm not sure what the rule is, but they randomly drug test me at work too. Uh, but uh, yeah, I have nothing against weed, man. That's what, fantastic. Wait, There's that, actually a lot of people that swear by it and have serious mental conditions, like very severe disabilities, that uh, marijuana has really helped them quite a bit control that and, and calm themselves down. So. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm not opposed to it either. I mean, I'm not. I, I think whatever it takes, man, you know, it's, we're only renting space on this planet, and uh, we want to make the ride as pleasant as possible as, for as long as possible. Yeah, I, I don't know why. Is it is it has to be banned by USADA, but you you got to wonder why. That's not performance enhancing, right? That doesn't calm the heart. Maybe it calms the heart a little bit. Yeah. Now, I can't imagine why that would be uh, performance enhancing. Yeah, they just they just don't want you having any edge whatsoever. They don't want you having yeah. any fun. Yeah, exactly. You train all the time. You train now. Let's talk about some of the other stuff that we we, we talked about. Uh, so, yeah, we brought up the other things we were talking about. When you mentioned heart rate variability, I was like, well, you know, what are the methods that you'd be, uh, be interested in, in using? You said, well, look, there's a lot of things that people do out there that, uh, that people try and sell you that aren't really that beneficial. You don't get a lot of bang for your buck. And uh, that reminded me, you brought the idea of Hey, there's a lot of research around uh, the masks. The uh, what are they called? The the dumbass mask. The the dumbass mask. Yes, <laughs> they're called training masks that people put in, and supposedly supposed to si- simulate uh, working at elevation, meaning it's harder for you to breathe. They say it's like breathing through a straw. And you'll hear a lot of people, uh, I believe Ben Greenfield is a proponent of it. You've heard other people uh, you know, argue against it. There's no real good research for it, but uh, mostly I found that it's kind of been debunked. Well, huh. at the end of the day, 
there's a few things that you have to, you've got to break it down to very logical terms, okay? And when we talk about essentially you're inhibiting your ability to get air. You're, you're trying to function on a percentage of the available air that you can consume. And realize that your body is drawing oxygen to the working muscles in hopes of not only liberating energy, but vacating waste and so on and so forth. And you're inhibiting your normal respiratory and ventilatory functions. And people want to go into the simple argument that it's improving lung function, it's making your lungs stronger, and this type of thing. And in fact, most of the research, if you delve into it, suggests that it in fact does not do that. As a matter of fact, the idea of gaining advantages in your workouts, it's contrary to that because in order to improve, you need to do work. And if you're doing something that's inhibiting your ability to produce work, you're also in inhibiting your ability to perform and to progress. Progressive overload is the principal concept of training. If you can do this much today, then you should try to do this much more tomorrow, and your body will adapt. But if you hamstring yourself by, by inhibiting your ability to take on air, you're inhibiting your ability to manufacture energy, and you'll have early fatigue. It's a yeah, physiological... Yeah, with oxygen, right? Yeah, yeah. And so you, you just kind of get yourself in a really bad place and the whole suffering concept, you think, is making your life better, but in fact, it's, it's, it's not. And can, I, can I tell you, I've, before we did this show, I went through and spent a t tremendous amount of time looking at various points of view and research from credible researchers on the topic. And the common thread among all of them is getting back to the basics. You have to be able to process oxygen which is a substrate for energy creation. As you work, you increase blood flow. And the more work you do, the more blood flows to the working muscles. And we have a limited supply of blood. And working muscles require blood flow because they're attempting to create more energy. If you're along with that along with that blood comes energy, ATP, right? Well, along with that blood comes oxygen, which is going to help you to create energy. Yeah. Because fat burns in the presence of oxygen. But by the way, I meant to say this earlier. Just so happens, a few days ago, I, my wife and I and a, and a group were running along the Pacific Coast Highway. Saturday morning. Yeah, it was Saturday morning. We went out for a two-hour run. Yeah, it was nice. Out there for two hours. And... Uh, on the coast highway by where we live, near Malibu, there are some really treacherous hills right off the PCH. And there's one in particular that's a really, really steep, edgy switchback going up the mountain. Very popular. A lot of people there in the morning. And they're either hiking up it. Uh, rarely do you see people running on it because it's that kind of steep. And I saw a girl getting out of her car with this training mask on. And she was getting ready to go climb this hill. And I'm telling you, 
in the best of circumstances, in the best <laughs> you are of circum- dying to say something. <laughs> oh, dude! In the best of circumstances, it's taxing enough to try to get up this hill. And what I didn't tell you yet, and I'm going to tell you now, is the girl was obese. This oh, girl, really? This okay. girl, her hips were from here to Idaho. <laughs> she was she was heavy, and she had this yeah. mask on. And so, what is it that you want to do when you're overweight? You want to do something that's going to encourage fat loss. So yep. she turns around and inhibits her ability to get air, which is going to allow oxygen to get to the working muscle, which is going to liberate fat as a fuel source. She's teaching her body to prefer sugar as an energy source by wearing that mask. And her thinking is, well, I'm going to get a great workout today because I need to lose weight. So how confused did, was she, right? Did you say anything? No, no. This well, is, me, me and Yancey have talked about this. It's when you reach a point in your fitness journey when you learned a lot and you see someone doing something wrong and you so badly want to help, you don't want to be a douche, right? You don't want to be that guy. And uh, But even I, me and Yancey were talking about when you see people on the treadmill and they have the incline all the way up, but they're hugging the machine or just holding on to the grips the entire time. I've actually uh, it drives us it drives us crazy. I just I, you well, want to yeah. help the person, yeah. and so I'll even mention to them, hey, look, I, I'm sorry, I don't mean to jump in your Kool Aid. Uh, I'm not trying to be that guy, but just just a tip to a, one friend to another, like you you might as well be running flat because you're mitigating the purpose of the incline like that. And most people like smile and they said thank you or just look at me like crazy and turn away. <laughs> yeah, well. Again, you you know me, and, and I've come a long way in this business over the years, and I've seen all sorts of folly. And I used to be a, a health club owner, I mean, for years. I owned health clubs for 15 years. And we're not talking about some small box personal training place. I'm talking about the big store, you know, 15, 18,000 square feet, multiple clubs, where your game as a health club owner is to process lots and lots and lots of people. And when you go to, for example, URSA Convention, which is the International Health and Racket Sport Association, what they're selling you when they're trying to you know, show you all the new gadgets that are available, they're trying to show you ways to manage lots and lots of people without having to have manpower to guide them. So you need exercises that are what they call grass, generally recognized as safe, where some ding-dong can walk up to the machine and put on it, you know, read the little placard that explains what he's supposed to be doing with it and be okay all by himself and not get hurt, okay? Now, exercise really is a function of risk versus benefit. And the more risk generally turns out to be the more benefit. So, for example, a free wit exercise would be more complex but more beneficial than potentially getting on, for example, a machine that has a seat. That An lot, isolated movement. Yeah, those, you, you those get all comfy. movements. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, so obviously enough, um, it's plug and play. And a happy club owner is where he's got three, four, five hundred people working out in the gym on a, on a Tuesday night, and he's got somebody working the front desk, Somebody teaching an aerobic class, somebody teaching a spinning class, and maybe some a couple of trainers on the floor just either milling around looking for new business or working with a particular client. But the the masses are basically on their own. 
and the most moronic and idiotic things that you see that go on in these clubs, you get to a place where you get numb to it after a while. Me, on the other hand, when it's my equipment that I purchase and I see them doing stuff that's going to wreck my equipment, (laughs) then I get a little funny with them, right? You know, for example, you're talking about hugging the front of the treadmill. And I've seen that many, many times where they put it on a really steep angle and they try to march up it, but they got to hold on to everything. Well, I'm looking at a guy that weighs 250 pounds and he's throwing his heels into the front of the treadmill belt as it's coming at him while it's on a steep incline. And he's basically just beating the crap out of my motor and my belt and my deck. And you kind of want to, you know, you, hey, you know, hey, Bob, how are you? You know, but by the way, you know, what you're doing is not quite as advantageous as if hey, you drop the incline a little bit and maybe try to get into a little jog. Let's burn some calories, right? Uh, as opposed to beating the crap out of my machine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, so you you touched on it. I mean, what would well you... that was that was something else you and me were going to talk about, right? Was the advent of of OCR training and the, the place that the gym has in it. You have this extensive background in owning gyms and coaching, and uh, and you know obviously way how you program your your athletes now have got to be completely different than maybe what you would have in the past, right? When you're thinking about oh, yeah. uh, someone in training. Uh, now, you think a lot of machines that are isolated movements. Well, first, let me start off with saying that, hey, I used to be a gym rat, and I love lifting weights. I love benching. I've always been able to bench significantly more than my own weight. It, it feels good. You know, What's more manly than, than benching or lifting weights? It, you know, But it came to the realization that a lot of these movements, especially in those isolated machines, aren't applicable to us as endurance athletes and OCR athletes in particular. I can imagine some things like deadlifts would be great for the lower back and working on, say, the bucket carry. There's some things like that, but say if it was just leg extension, you know, there's a lot better ways of working multiple parts of your leg right you wouldn't you wouldn't suggest that for a lot of your athletes how do you what are some of those machines that you would tell us endurance athletes runners and ocr athletes what you know stay away from these well and try more of these other functional yeah so you you basically said it in one word avoid the machines because the machines in the in and of themselves are designed to minimize the risk and put you in an advantageous position so you can't make any mistakes. And if you're isolating body parts, you're very subject to create imbalances during your exercise. So let's say, for example, that you really like the sensation you get when you do a buttload of quad extensions or leg extensions, right? Right. So for those that aren't real savvy, essentially you're sitting on this, this seat and you're flipping your ankles behind a roller and you reach over to the right and you plug a pin into the to the weight you feel like you can move and then you start extending your lower leg to get in line with your knee so you're doing this isolated movement that's working exclusively your quadricep group and if you punch out about 15 of those pretty quick you get this really ripping lactate burn in your quadriceps and it just feels like you're getting you're getting a lot of stuff done and then so maybe you because you like it you do five or six sets of those but you don't love hamstring curls 
So you go and maybe just because it's the next machine in the lineup, you do it, but you only do a couple sets, and you don't use nearly as much weight. And now what you're doing is you're, if you're doing this three days a week, for example, you're developing a muscular imbalance. Now, you talked about functionality, and you talk about being an OCR athlete. You're going out and trying to run, and you've got this quad dominance going on, and maybe you're even heel striking and overstriding, and your hamstrings need to be strong for you to be able to get away with that, and you're putting yourself in a really bad place. And you alluded to the bench press. So, for example, in a bench press, which could very well be, and in many cases is, a free weight exercise, but if you get real dominant in working your pectoral group, then you start to develop an imbalance because the, uh, the opposing muscles are lax. And then what ends up happening is your humerus, your upper arm, is anteriorly rotating. So your shoulders and your, your arms are actually, they look like uh, gorillas in the mist, these guys that are doing a lot of bench press. Where they're, <laughs> yeah, you know what do. I'm talking about? they got that walk-around yeah. look where their shoulders are all rolled in like this. <laughs> yep. Now, if you get into that type of habit because it looks really good in your T-shirt, and then you reach up and try to do a chin-up or try to go across a rig and you're stretching the crap out of that shoulder capsule, next thing you know, you've got a torn rotator cuff. And so yeah. that's just an example of what can occur by chasing around the plug-and-play equipment in a health club. Well, exactly. And the whole point of the... The one downfall when they teach you when you go for personal training, right? Uh, I'm preaching to the choir there, but for the people listening is that you you need a good strong base and a good strong lumbopelvic hip complex. So uh, a strong base from which to work on and build that found build build everything up from that foundation. And the isolated machines don't allow you to work on that balance, agility, things like that are going to help you build that foundation. So if you're doing functional fitness, if you're using at least, uh, say, you know, free weights, using some dumbbells, kettlebells, things like that, you're also balancing when you're doing those swings or those presses or those cleans. And, and you're balancing, you're helping build that base, whereas if you were on an isolated machine, you wouldn't be, you would just be situated in one spot working one muscle. That yeah. sound about right, Rich? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'll share with you that, as I already suggested, that I owned health clubs for quite a long time. And I got out of that business. And for a long time, I was operating from my home, doing testing and what have you, and uh, decided to build a lab. And I'm kind of like right back in the fire, you know. I, I jumped out of the pot, and now I'm in the fire again. And when I built this place out, I definitely felt that, aside from the testing what have you, that we needed to do some structural integrity work and functional exercises. So in the back of the place, I've got pictures. I'll, one day I'll share them with you. This is before OCR. This is before obstacle course racing. I had three Humvee tires in the back of the place outside. I had a rope slung over a branch in a tree because I didn't feel comfortable allowing people to climb a rope because just the litigious nature. Liability. Yeah, somebody falls out of the tree and you go, oh, yeah, well, that's, uh, I told him to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so what I would do is I'd hook, you know, whatever weight I felt was reasonable to the other end of the rope. And we would do functional rope pulls where, you, you know, you put a 55-pound dumbbell on that rope 
and it's just riding across a branch. There's no pulley up there, and you drag the thing up. It's just basically a hercoist. Yeah. But, but it's like a Flintstone hercoist because there's no there's no pulley, there's no fancy rope, and there's no wreck bag. It's just a dumbbell swinging in the air across a branch, and I would have people pull that thing and lower that thing for time. I had them doing plyos out back. Uh, I was using vibration platforms. I was using med balls. I had people doing the uh, wall ball squats and tossing a ball. I had everything, and people would come that knew me and look in the back of my place and go, uh, Richard, where, where's all the equipment? They expected me to have all this plug-and-play equipment because they had never gone anywhere where there was fitness supposed to happen and it was minus all the toys they're typically looking at when they go into a health club. Uh, I guess I was just a little ahead of my time when I was pulling this all off. But, you know, now it looks like every place you go, there's an OCR gym that is essentially built the way my old place used to be built. (laughs) That's awesome, man. You mentioned the vibration machines, by the way. So I've never actually been on one or seen one. I've only read about it in books. What's your what's your take on the vibration machine? Is there any, any benefit to that? Well, I have a vibration platform, um, which is different than what is typically found in a health club. And the name escapes me right now of the manufacturer that makes these things. Powerplate. Powerplate is like the you know the dominant manufacturer of vibration that goes into health clubs. And essentially, this thing is like um, an oval disc about, uh, I don't know, two and a half feet wide by two and a half feet, you know, it's, dimensionally it's enough to stand on. And then there generally is like a, a little podium in front of you that has the controls on it that you hang on to. And you're supposed to like do deep squats and what have you on it. But everything is having... While you, it oscillates, right? Yeah. Well, it's it's vibrating. And... Um, okay. You know, these things are not cheap. They they were going out for about four or five grand a piece. Wow. And I went to a training to do some gate work up in Idaho. And this company up there manufactures these. They're called Vibe Pros or ProVibe. And this plate is, uh, oh, I don't know what the dimension is. It's about three and a half to four feet wide by about three and a half feet long, something like this. It's it's a big plate. You can lay down on it, okay? But there's nothing attached to it. And it will punch up the vibration to about 60 hertz. And I actually plug this into a stage where you could walk off of the stage directly onto the vibration plate without any change in elevation. So in other words, you can't trip onto it or trip off of it. And I would have people do deadlifts, have them do squats, clean and press. I'd have them do TRX lunges off of this thing, all while it's vibrating. And the vibration plate will jump up muscular contractions by about 300%. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, it's not 300% harder. It's just 300% more activation of fibers. So you're basically igniting a whole ton of muscular contraction. And you can also, if you do the research on it, just Google whole body vibration, you'll find that there's a lot of hormonal benefits associated with it as well. Uh, For example, your cortisol levels are supposed to dump dramatically, and your human growth hormone goes through the roof when you train on this thing about three days a week. 
And so here I'm at this clinic. They were doing vertical leap, you know, so they had the um, vertex set up and they had these guys pre and post vibration training doing this vertical leap. And before I left that place in the course of the weekend, these guys were picking up three to five inches more height in the vertical leap after training on this vibration plate. And because I work with power athletes, I'm looking at this thing, and next thing you know, I call my wife up and say, hey, honey, damn it, I've got to buy this thing. And it was like 10000 bucks, right? Oh, dear she, Lord, what did she say? She's like, really? I said, no, I'm telling you. I'm sitting here watching what this thing will do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy one. And uh, now it's in my garage, and I rarely use it, simply because it's not set up in the same scenario that I had in my lab. One day I'll probably put it to use. Every now and then I bust it out. I put Hunter on it a few times, and I, you know, every now and then just for fun I'll, I'll bust it out and, and have people work out. But I'll tell you what, you do push-ups on this thing, and you you feel like you stuck your finger in a light socket. You're pumped up for the rest of the day. It just jacks you in a heartbeat. Now I'm kind of jealous we don't have one yeah, anywhere around here. Well, How is this, this might be applicable to OCR athletes? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's oh, man. from a standpoint of developing stability and things like this, it's a great tool. And I have It looks silly. It looks like it does nothing. Remember the old days you see the old uh, black yeah. and white commercials yeah. where the uh, the women would stand on the uh, the belt, this yeah. little platform oh, no. yeah, that it. vibrates with the belt? Yeah. Well, it ain't that. I'm just telling you right now, it's not that. And you you got to know what you're doing. That's the other end of it. It's it, you have to. You don't just plug it in and have people just get in there and rattle the brains out. Uh, you got to know what you're doing, and you got to know what type of vibration you're using for what reasons, and what kind of exercises to do on it. But yeah, I'm the guy that bought one of those, and I I'll tell you what, I've used it quite a lot. I had guys, for example, I don't know if you're a boxing fan, but no, I don't follow it very much. It's okay. cool. One of I my, just don't follow one it. One of my clients back in the day was Sergio Martinez. He was the middleweight champion of the world. Oh, wow. And the guy didn't even speak English. And he came in after, a, you know, these boxers, a pro boxers, getting ready for a professional fight. He's beat up, right? And I kind of drag him over and put him on that plate for about five minutes. And his eyes lit up, and he, you could see he was thinking, where do I buy one of these? Because it just totally relaxes your body. If you're put out, if your quads are on fire, you got a race to do tomorrow, I put you on that thing for five minutes, and you're brand new. Wow, this is better than a massage? Oh, absolutely. You make this thing sound like magic. It, I'm, you're, you're, I, I'm quickly getting if you, really fascinated. I just want to talk about this machine now. Yeah, you're a geek, okay? Go, go on to Google and pull up whole body vibration and see what they say about it. Now, if, if 50% of what they say it does for you happens, it's already worth it. And I should plug the company that sells this. The company is called Numex, P-N-E-U-M-E-X. Does that sound right? But they're up in Idaho. If you Google Numex, they sell the big dog of all vibration plates. And uh, the price is much better than it was when I bought it. But highly recommended if somebody's building their own place and they want to do something kind of novel and out of the box. You start circulating your training programs around that vibration plate, you'll be surprised the benefits you get from it. But you got to learn how to implement it first. Well, yeah, I mean, right? yeah, you you you've got to do a little research and you got to understand it. And, and if you understand physiology, you'll kind of understand what the concepts are. But it really does provide a ton of. Uh, and again, I don't want to sound like I'm trying to sell vibration because that was not even our our radar today. The focus of the conversation was supposed to be the things you don't want to spend money on. And I want to hit one more. Can we? Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, got all the time you need, man. Well, I want to talk about supplementation. So let's start by asking you, do you supplement and what do you take? Uh, get, no, I have a great question for you as well. I, I strictly just take protein powder. Uh, that's about it. I used to take pre-workout all the time, which is the next question I was going to get to you. Um, and then I have recently started using not only regular uh, whey protein. I, actually, I like the Ascent Protein brand because uh, it has very few fillers, but also the micellar. Uh, the micellar protein, which is, it's kind of thick in consistency. It's very thick, but it's slower acting and helps uh, recovery overnight. So I'll have a protein shake in the morning, and then I'll have a micellar protein shake at the end of the night before I go to bed. And then every once in a while, uh, of course, you know, I like the I like the Beat Elite, right? Uh, you've You've mentioned and talked about it on the podcast before. Um, the, it's, of course, it's a vasodilator. That's fantastic. And then also recently, there's a product, if you want to Google this, it's made by uh, CarboPro. Matt Campione turned me on to this. And uh, CarboPro makes a, uh, it's just complex carbs in a powdered form. But they also have these pills called VO2 Max pills. I have them. You have them. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay, yeah, so I haven't tried them, but I have them. These things feel like cheating, man. <laughs> I took them. So let me give you an example. I did the famous Murph Wad. Are you familiar with the Murph Wad, yes, Rich? I am. Okay, so last year it took me an hour and ten minutes. And now let me give this a caveat that I didn't break them up like I like I did this time. I broke up the for people that well I don't need to get into it. People can Google the Murph Wad, but this year it took me thirty-eight minutes. <laughs> so I went from hour and ten to thirty-eight minutes, and that was the first time I took them. And so then I also took them at the last couple races, and I, I could feel like I had more endurance. It, it definitely seemed to help. And then I look at the I looked at the back like surely this has got to be performance enhancing, but it's just a bunch of amino acids. There's nothing wrong with it at all. So I want to get your take on that as well. But that's pretty much the only supplementation I used to use. And I, I also want to get your opinion on pre-workout. Because every once in a while before a strength workout, I like to do the pre-workout because I hadn't had it in a long time. It gives me that jolt. Well, first of all, a couple things come to mind. Number one, you're talking about you did the Murph a year ago, and this time you did it, and you did it in 38 minutes last time. What did you say, an hour and 10 minutes? Yes, sir. All right, so the only difference between then and now was you took the VO2 max? Well, I'm sure my fitness has gotten a little better, right? I mean, dude, really, come on. My, fit, my fitness has got a little better, but geez, man, dude, that's like a 30-minute difference. You've got a year worth of training under your belt since last you did this. It just so happens that one of the culprits behind your success was you took this, this supplement. And I'm not going to tell you that you didn't get a bit of a bump from it. I can tell you that it's not likely that you got a bump from the aminos because aminos are protein, essentially. They, yeah. You know, and protein doesn't create instant energy. Yeah, protein is uh, just a different string yeah, of amino yeah, acids. So forget about it. That's not, that's not something that would have caused that outcome. Now, maybe you recovered better because you were taking these aminos. And, uh, but... And again, I'm not trying to dog CarboPro. I'm just saying that I don't think 
that's the key to your success. Now, gotcha. now, in respect to your taking a protein supplement, a powder in the evening before you go to bed, that's not a bad practice. Everything that you read about nutrition will suggest to you that, especially if you listen to anything by John Ivey or Dr. Portman, and looking into the research of the circadian cycle and the, and the nutrient needs over the course of the day, nutrient timing, what have you, your body is more receptive to protein towards the evening, and then it also helps with the repair while you sleep. Not to suggest that you should pound, you know, four raw eggs into your system before you go to bed, but a little bit of a protein. And what was recommended to me by Ivy was take a Greek yogurt before you go to bed as a snack. Oh, yeah, that's a great source. And But the point of the matter is is that it's not a bad thing to supplement with a little bit of protein. I'm not an amino acid guy. I, For the most part, I think that you, you're better suited to just have a decent meal and ensure that the protein requirements are met through the course of the day. And I'm sure you spend enough time researching it to know that your protein requirements are far lower than what most people suggest they should be. Yeah, unless you're a power lifter. No, I no, used to dude, have four a day no, no, until I, I started learning about more OC, uh, more about OCR and realizing. If you if you do the research, and I I can look behind me in my bookshelf and I can pull down the Journal of American Sports Medicine, I think it was, or Nutrition. Uh, I've got it. I could cite the research where they've done studies on powerlifters, professional powerlifters and looked at the protein requirement for these guys, and it did not exceed a gram per kilo of body weight per day. Oh, wow. And so we're talking about big boys doing big boy exercises, not needing a ton of protein. Yeah, I know it's hard to suck on that, but I'm telling you that it, it, if, you, if you overdid it by a bit, you're probably okay. If you are trying to lose weight and you want to stick to a higher protein intake in your diet because you're just not doing what is necessary to to burn off the carbohydrates you're consuming, which is a real usable energy source, yeah, okay, I'm good with that too. But at the end of the day, I'm a, I'm a food guy. I think that we can get pretty much everything we need from a balanced diet. And if you've got a supplement, that means something's lacking. And I would rather see people fix the problem opposed to trying to put a Band-Aid on it by buying a jar full of pills. Well, that's one of the benefits of going to your clinics, right, Rich? And you guys, when you sign up with Rich and you do the VO2 max test, you should also sign up for the resting metabolic assessment so you can kind of determine not only how many calories you should be intaking, but I'm assuming you guys talk about how much around what protein you should be taking in as well. Yeah, well, at the end of the day, the test is going to show you how well your body's using energy. And you'll start to notice that there's a lot of disruption in a lot of people's nutrition by looking at the data that, that spills out of that test. And I've had a lot of people look at it and go, oh, my God, really? And, you know, since you were talking about Faye earlier, Faye was one of those. And I remember we had this conversation where she was trying to do this fat-adapted diet, and I showed her, in fact, that her body was starving for carbohydrate because of the way she'd been feeding herself. And she confessed that she is a chocoholic or a sweet tooth girl, you know. She, towards the middle part of the day or towards the latter part of the day, her body is dying for sugar because her energy is, is just completely tossed off. And we talked about ways to 
wrangle that nutrition and, and meal planning to get her in a better place. And I, ironically, her boyfriend, being someone that writes about nutrition, uh, we him and I talked about it. And it's like a bone of contention between them because she's just not got the best eating habits. Love you. Don't get pissed off at me. <laughs> she's got a good she's got a good balanced yeah, view of life. Yeah. She has she has fun and trains hard. Yeah. And it's so easy to just train, go all out. A lot of us that are competitive OCR athletes, you see all the other workouts on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, you see everyone else going hard, so you're like, Oh man, I gotta go even harder and it's so easy to get caught up on that. But she's one of those few people that have such a balanced view of life that she knows it's good to go out and have fun. Hey, have that chocolate ice cream. Go do that. And you know what? She performs amazing. Yeah. She's a good athlete, good kid. I like her a lot. All right. But, so so go what's your view on – you didn't touch upon a pre-workout. What is your view on pre-workout? Well, clarify it for me. Well, so, I mean, I'm kind of embarrassed to tell people that I take pre-workout in OCR because it's – you know, the vasodilator is probably a better way to go, the bead extract, right, the natural vasodilator – you want to get as much blood to your muscles as possible, whereas, you know, pre-workout is more for gym rats and meatheads, right? It's the sure for – and then I'm afraid also it makes your heart maybe beat a little faster. I'm not sure what the science is behind on it. I haven't completely researched it, so I don't want to speak out of turn. But you, you won't find endurance athletes using pre-workout. Well, um, the term pre-workout – is kind of mystical for me. I, I don't know if there's a product called that. But oh, no, no. It's like beta alanine right. is a big one. Yeah, you know, we're talking yeah. 400, no. 600 milligrams of beta alanine. Yeah. Um, I like to see people ensure that they're getting some food before they, they get their workout in the morning. Um, I don't like to mess with the ratios too much. I, you obviously need carbohydrate. And especially if you're not getting enough food over the course of the day, you absolutely want to make sure that you're getting some carbs in your system before you go and exercise because your body's starving for energy. And if it doesn't have it, then it's going to be limping along. You want a great workout, you've got to have your energy availability. Um, you need protein. In the morning, it's not quite as important. But I like to have it present. You know, if you're taking in about 20% of your total meal from protein, that's not a bad thing. I think fat's important. I don't think you have to go crazy. I don't think you need to punch in a whole bunch of calories. Most people don't like a lot of food in their system before their exercise. But I like to start the day with about 250. You know, I think that's a good number of calories to go if you're just going to go out and work out. Now, yeah, that's pretty light. That's yeah, easy to yeah. do. Well, the other end of it is depending on the number of hours you plan on putting in. If you're looking to go run 20 miles in the morning, you're going to probably need to get up a little earlier, make sure you're packed in, you've got enough food in your system, and then you're also going to want to pack some food with you to feed along the way. And typically that's going to come in some fashion of drink and or, unfortunately, some fashion of gel. So, so Rich, what supplements would you steer people away from? Pretty much all of them. Pretty much all of them. Gotcha. Just have a nice meal when you wake up before you work out. You can try and get your nutrients from nutrient-dense natural foods and don't get caught up in supplements, period. Well, th there's some controversy and some argument that's been tossed around in energy replacement drinks. Some of them will include protein. Hammer Nutrition is one of those. Pacific Health Labs puts well, like a whey protein in theirs. 
The problem with whey protein and those types of proteins in a drink is it doesn't have any shelf life. And if you get out for a long time and it starts getting warm, it can get a little rancid. So it gets a little ugly. You've got to be careful. There's a company that just came out recently that I'm going to mess the name up. It's either Rocket, Carb Rocket, or one of the. But anyway, they got a. Product. Sorry, man. I don't know. I don't know. I don't remember the name either. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. leaving so, you out the dry. That's all right. It's okay. But they <laughs> they have a product that's called Rocket Red or Red Rocket. I can't. I keep forgetting which leads out. But the the product has some beet juice in it. It's got pomegranate in it, and it's got cherry juice in it. Tart all, cherry. Yeah, yeah. So it's all oh yeah, packed full of antioxidants, and the 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 value of the the beet. I mean, it's not as much as beet elite, but I think it's got four beets per serving. A little shy of what beet elite does, but then again, they have pomegranate and they have the tart, so they're kind of offsetting with some other things. And he uses a amino in it to balance it out with a bit of protein. And I remember throwing him under the bus about it. We're having a conversation. The guy's ready to cut me a check. And I said, you know, the only thing I can't get past is you're sticking these supplements in. And he goes, well, he goes, the reason I'm using it is because it will last. You're not going to have a problem with it going rancid on you. And, you know, you can put it back in the refrigerator after, if you don't use it and, you know, whatever. And I thought, okay, well, that makes sense because it is going to provide you with a protein source and it's a little easier to digest, which was the other thing, is because some of this stuff doesn't digest well. Some people can't take that whey protein. Yeah. And, and so it's easier on your GI tract. And so he made good argument and he was making good use of the supplement. So I was fine with it. I, I've talked to a lot of nutritionists about, you know, hey, what do you, su- what do you suggest? What do you like? And the one thing they all have in common is that tart cherry. Yeah. That's good. It's for a fantastic you. source. And by the way, I like Beetle and I've I've used it a lot. Um, I don't know. I don't know that it has the performance benefits that a lot of people tout it to provide. It could very well be that I'm just so old and beat down. There's only so much you could do for me. But I was taking it because I thought it's good for you. I mean, especially guys like me. Uh, your liver could use whatever support it can get, and there's just a ton of value in beet juice. So I was taking it more as a health supplement as any, opposed to anything else. And when you think in terms of supplement, you're thinking manufactured product. And the only thing about this manufactured is the way they process the beets in order to condense it into a, a powdered form. But it's just beets. So I like the product, I like the people, and I have no issue with people drinking it. I don't care how often they drink it. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. So is there anything else that we're going to kill before we uh, shut down this 45-hour session? <laughs> Man, you make it, I could think of a bunch of other things we could go tackle. Uh, I was hoping, all, going back to the gym deal, I was wondering if you could think of any other, yeah, are there I any can, other I machines? Think of, I could think you, of 50 machines in a gym that I wish people would never touch. Can you just start naming some of those? Let me just, so that way the people yeah. listening, next time they go to the gym... They're going to double think before they jump on them, and they can really take something away from this. Stay off the elliptical. I don't like ellipticals. Why is that? It's not a natural movement pattern. There's, if you really sit down and analyze the way these ellipticals carry you through a range of motion, it's a corrupt process. And it's not going to improve your running. People that are thinking, well, when I'm not running, I'm going to use the elliptical. No. You're better off just riding a bike. 
because if your focus is to get full body cardiovascular treatment, just ride a bike. Because bike riding, incidentally, is not going to support running mechanics either. But it's it's a more natural motion than being on an elliptical where you're kind of sliding forward and back. Uh, depending on how tall you are, the equipment is generally made to fit all sorts of folk. But outside the spectrum, somebody that's really tall or somebody that's really short, the angles that you're put into are not appropriate. I've seen a bunch of different approaches to it, and I've not found one yet that I really love. So gotcha. I don't like those. I like a step mill. It's pretty, you know, step mill meaning that there's a series. Stairmaster? No. The step mill where you're actually stepping on steps that are rotating on a, you know, cascading floor. Um, a, yeah, I thought it was called the Stairmaster. Well, it's, that's the manufacturer's name is Stairmaster. Oh, gotcha. Okay. The, the actual Stairmaster has those pedals that are chain driven and you kind of, this is another one of those opportunities to lean on the machine and yep. put, put it up to full bore and just let the machine do all the work while you're just hanging on for dear life. Um, <laughs> I don't love those. And then again, the plug and play equipment where, you know, it's trying to take you through a par three golf. I just, I just think it's not functional. And uh, I mean, you may do that work and be strong and you may look great in a bathing suit but if you need to run, climb a rope, jump over something, jump under something, it's going to leave you wanting. Gotcha. Gotcha. Good to know. So final okay. final comments, Miles. I got a clinic coming up in November in Phoenix. I'm going to be in Killington, Vermont next month, the 23rd, 24th. Very excited about that. Very cool place. If you beg your wife and you borrow money, you got to get out there because it's going to be a hoot. What uh, what races are you going to be at next, Rich? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I just turned down the trip to Tough Mudder X. Okay. Um, Hunter offered to to pay my airplane ticket and what have you to to go down there with him, and I told him no. He's my pick to win that. He's... That is literally right up his alley. Like that final course you see at Broken Skull Challenge that he rocks all the time is specifically tailored to all of his strengths. Yeah. I doubt anyone can beat him on that course. Hunter has been working his butt off and he, I, I, you know, I like him for it too. I think he's, he's a tough candidate for that type of racing. And, uh, I, the reason I didn't go is I said, what would I do there? I mean, honestly, am I going to be able to help you? Is there anything I could do for you there? He goes, well, you know, not really. I'm going to get in there and do the race, and then i got to take a little break and then do the race again. I said, well, if I'm not going to be of any value to you, then there's no sense in you spending the money and me wasting the time to go out there. So, mm-hmm. Hey, you, man, maybe you're just fun to hang out with, Rich. Yeah, well, Pretty, I, told, I, I said, like talking to you. I said, look, if you want to spend that kind of money on me, I'm going to point you towards a really nice bottle of scotch. <laughs> and I'm going to go to. <laughs> I'm going to appreciate that. I knew you were going there. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, thank you so much for coming on the show with me, Miles. You gave me something to do this week. I think the information that we discussed is important. I should close by saying that clearly what I've said is an opinion, and you don't need to agree with me. You don't need to follow my practices. Just sharing with you what I believe, and hopefully if you do listen to me, I'll do you some good. And let me let me just add if I could plug the show. Uh, another great OCR podcast like Rich's podcast you're listening to this on. Check us out over the Link Endurance podcast. 
me and my co-host uh, Coach Mo interview athletes, and we really, really like to get into you know what makes their heart tick and get into their mind and, and find out what goes on in the in the motions and life and the thinking of a of, a, of all kinds of athletes. Yeah, Mo's so a good guy. Check that out. Mo's a good guy, and I I apologize for not giving you the plug earlier. Yeah, absolutely. Get out there Link, and listen. Link to endurance. Link endurance. Good luck to you guys. Thank you, sir. Right. Thank you for having me on, Rich. Well, friends, it's time to bring another show to a close. Be sure and tune in to us next week. We've got a lot of great content in store for you. I want you to tell your friends to check us out. You can always find us on Facebook. Simply go search the Natural Running Network. Drop us a message. I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do. And until then, you have an amazing day.